Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for the first advent and the coming advent of Jesus Christ. May our hearts be ready. May our minds be attentive, Lord. May your word penetrate our hearts, Lord. Do as you will with our life, Father. May we carry the message of hope every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been passed up for a promotion at work? Have you ever maybe had somebody promise something or to do something for you that just was never, never done? Maybe you have promised to do something for somebody else, but somehow in the trappings of life and getting in the day-to-day, for whatever reason, you just never completed that which you promised to do. And so the other person just waits. Maybe uh, as husbands and wives, maybe this is more common, though I'm not going to ask you to look at each other right now. Has there ever been something that you've promised your spouse that you would do that you haven't done? And all the women just literally elbowed their husbands. Wives, have you ever promised something to your husband that you have never done? Children, have you ever promised something to your parents? Never happened. Yes, I'll clean my... Well, we won't go there. Parents, have you ever promised something to your children that they've been waiting for that still has not been fulfilled? That time that you put out there that you thought they didn't know their calendar has now come to pass. Those batteries, they realize that toy runs by them and they can get new ones, but you just have not done that yet. The toy's broken, you say. Double A batteries, why? We all hope for things. A constant thought that drives every human being on the planet is hope. Whether you're a Christian or not, politics, sports, work goals, school grades, relationships, family, when it comes to hope, either being a tree of life or a heart-sickening disappointment, well, it depends on where your hope is grounded. What the Lord says through Solomon speaks to something that we can all understand. In whatever stage of life we find ourselves, it is quite simple and it's not that complicated. If I were to paraphrase, it might go something like this. When your hopes are constantly set on something which will not come to pass, the unmet expectations will break your heart. However, when your hopes and desires come into alignment, the effects are both exponential and boundless. Eat your heart out, Eugene Peterson. No, I will not write the message part two. Now, a great illustration of this would be a marriage proposal, right? We all understand hope and expectations with the marriage proposal. We all have seen them go well. We've seen them not go so well. Now that we have this thing called social media, Facebook, Twitter, videos are posted of these amazing shots and these situations and the scenery of marriage proposals. I can't think of anything in this human life, maybe, that from the inception, certainly, of a young female as they plan out what that might look like in the marriage to follow. But a great understanding might be this. Many things go into that marriage proposal, great lengths to set that stage, every last detail possible that could even be fathomed. There is the timing, the filming, the pictures, 
The music, the outfit, the transportation, the budget, the friends, the bench, the reservations, the food, the ambiance, the lighting, the weather, the deodorant, the parental permission, the second application of deodorant, the prayer, the signals throughout the night, the conversation, the nerves, the poetry you swore you'd never write, and not least of all, the ring. I won't go into or mention my lapse in judgment as I tried to propose to my wife on a weekend where there was a NASCAR race and there was not a hotel within 100 miles that wasn't booked with NASCAR fans. I don't know if you know NASCAR fans, been around NASCAR fans. I surely was not staying in a hotel with NASCAR fans. Yet you can have all of your proposal ducks in a row, and if she says no, all the preparation and time and investment in the world will not suffice. Your heart laid bare is crushed, and your hopes along with it. However, if she says yes, you are on cloud nine, you overflow and beam with joy unspeakable, possibly improvising some more poetry along the way. You tell everyone you know as your joy has been set ablaze and your life will never be the same again. Amen? You, you better say amen. This is your bride, your hopes and plans, and all of a sudden what didn't come to fruition and maybe the order or that parsley in your teeth, she said yes and it doesn't matter anymore. Your life will never be the same. There's an exponential effect that is happening. It's a ripple that comes from hopes being met, something that you've planned. All of your hearts and emotions have been into that moment. However, life is filled with hopes deferred. And Solomon is right in that our hearts are often sick because of it. It would seem that many times the hopes that we have had are put off for a day, a month, a year, or sometimes indefinitely. Plans have changed, intentionally or unintentionally, and life has thrown a curveball where we have tried to orchestrate without a conductor stick, and we find our hearts in a state of sickness, as Solomon describes it, because of it. The disappointment in ourselves and or others has come to such a state that we find the central part of our being, our very heart, adversely affected. But we realize that all of this points to the fact that our hopes drive us to and even sets the stage for our hearts to be laid bare, especially during this time of year. The holiday of holidays. The supporting characters of our emotions were in full swing, knowing each part to play as Christmas traditions ran their course. Every stocking was positioned at the right time and in the right place, and each piece of gluten-free garland hung perfectly around the house. The smell of peppermint was in the air, be it candy canes, Starbucks, mochas, or essential oils. We even spent the right amount of time with the right people. Nothing seemed out of place. Even the family was what some may call seasonably obedient this time of year. Yet Christmas Day is over, and for some, our hearts may still be heavy. Our hope has begun to wane as we think of decorations coming down and our families returning to their homes. Our expectations of the season maybe weren't met. Somehow and in some way, all of what we tried to accomplish and bring to fruition did not have the climactic Christmas ending we desired. What was it? What didn't happen this Christmas? Maybe your son or daughter didn't embrace Christ yet again this Christmas. Maybe it was the reality that your loved one is no longer here. 
Maybe it was the realization that the two-day-long respite from the daily grind was met with the same old, same old when you returned to your job. Maybe the memories of Christmas past are more painful than they are helpful. Maybe our body isn't giving us signs that we like. And maybe the realization of January's credit card bill, which takes six months to pay off in the spring, doesn't sit too well. And maybe Christ was an afterthought or just a character in the children's play. Please understand that I realize not everyone's season had the same exact trajectory, but oftentimes the holidays bring with them a bar that is set so high, our hopes never had the chance. In your bulletins, if you look, there is a quote by Paul Tripp. He says this, It's not unusual for the thing in which we willingly placed our hope to fail us. In fact, we get to the place where we're afraid to hope anymore, because we're sure we'll be disappointed once again. But we can't stop hoping, because God created our lives to be propelled and directed by hope, and he meant our capacity for hope to drive us to him. So I asked the question, is our capacity for hope driving us to Christ? We've just spent the month of December celebrating the first advent of Jesus, and we now take a step back and we, we take it in. We celebrated waiting, and we, we celebrated hoping, right? That was what the first advent was about. That was what the prophets longed for. That is what Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied about this hope that they were to have, that the Jews would have their Savior who would come in the line of David, and everybody in their mind had a trajectory or a pathway or something in which in their minds they put feet on that looked like something to them. They had expectations. They had certainly desires of what that would look like. Some of them were based on prophetic utterances that happened prior to and some of that was situational awareness in the now, the persecution that was happening in their lives, the lack of freedom that they didn't have or that they did have. What would this Christ look like? What would he be? Who is this in the line of David? And then we find Mary, a young teenager, miraculously pregnant. And that this child would then be born in such a way that probably no parent would ever wish. That they'd be out of the means of society, that they'd be not even in a home per se, but that this child would be delivered so humbly into some feeding trough. Hopes dashed. As Jesus would grow, and as the reality that he would be the Messiah would come more and more apparent, what were the hopes like then? But we know what the Pharisees thought. We know how they responded, how they reacted. Nobody, no king at least, no savior of ours, no person who would then get us from this persecution out from under the Romans. Nobody would come that way. Surely God would choose somebody different. Ignoring the past, ignoring the reality of maybe the Saul's of the day weren't probably sufficient. And so our hopes... What do they look like? Christ has been born. We remembered it and we celebrated it. We sang joy to the world right after Silent Night. We even lit candles in here again. And Shawnee did not burn down. Can I get an amen? So may I pose the same question often utilized by aunts and uncles across America as they pick up their nieces and nephews while visiting during Christmas. This Christmas, did you get what you wanted? 
Or better yet, did you get what you hoped for? We celebrated the fact that the Father sent the most perfect of gifts that could ever have been asked for in history, namely His Son, Jesus Christ. But maybe we found ourselves on the sidelines, playing in the corner with a bunch of wrapped, empty boxes the world tried to offer. Like a child, we couldn't grasp the length to which our Father had gone to purchase the gift, so we find our hope and joy in something other than the gift itself. There's an article in the beginning of December, that was written by Stephen Nichols, reflecting on a pretty amazing moment. And maybe you've heard of this. This is probably the second time I had heard of it, but I had not read it recently. And it goes like this. One of the most remarkable stories of Christmas comes from one of the darkest moments of modern history. World War I ravaged the continent, leaving destruction and debris in its wake. The human cost, well in the millions, staggers us. But from the midst of this dark conflict comes the story of Christmas Truce of 1914. The Western Front, only a few months into the war, was a deplorable scene of devastation. Perhaps as if, as if to give the combatants one day to breathe again, a truce was called from Christmas Eve through Christmas Day. As darkness settled over the front like a blanket, the sound of exploding shells and the rat-tat-tat of gunfire faded. Faint carols and French or English voices on the one side, and in German voices on the other, rose to fill the silence of night. By morning, soldiers at first hesitantly began filing out of the maze of trenches into the dreaded and parched soil of no man's land. There was more singing. Gifts of rations and cigarettes were exchanged. Family photos were passed around. Soccer balls appeared. Up and down the Western Front, soldiers who only hours before had been locked in deadly combat now faced off in soccer games. For one brief but entirely remarkable day, there was peace on earth. Some have called the Christmas Truce of 1914 the miracle on the Western Front. Friends for a time, the celebration of love, peace on earth. This is the meaning of Christmas, but these celebrations, these truces, don't last. After Christmas Day, the soccer balls and the soldiers went back into the trenches. The Christmas carols subsided, and the war carried on. And even though World War I eventually ended, a few decades later, as we all know it, Europe's countrysides and cities became the field of battle once again, as did Africa and the Pacific during World War II. Hope for these soldiers and many more was surely deferred, and their hope, though commendable, would never last. But enough about our sick hearts, right? We, we heard you, Kevin. It's pretty hopeless sometimes that the world uh, looks to all of these things, rejects Christ, is constantly in our face about it. Yet we, we got that. It can be hopeless. But what now? What of this second part of the verse in Proverbs? Solomon ends Proverbs 13, 12 with a reality that a, desired, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When hopes come to fruition, our cups continually runneth over. The picture is of a tree that, it, that is constantly producing life. Its roots go deep into nourishing soil with endless fruit on its life-giving branches for all to partake. What a beautiful picture that is. When our hopes are fulfilled, the reality is people look onto us and there is a byproduct of what that looks like in other people's life. They see us, they see us grounded and rooted that our hopes have been fulfilled, and on our branches is a fruit from which people 
can pick. They can partake in our joy and the hopes that were filled in our life. There is this domino effect. And Solomon points to that reality that when our hearts are full, people can't help but notice that. I don't know if you look around during the holiday season, but you see your your families, and there are certain maybe family members, um, acquaintances, that you almost dread seeing. Why? Because when you see them, they are so pessimistic. They are so hopeless. You know that when you say a story, they're going to come and say, yeah, but what happened to me was... Well, my peppermint mocha spilled. I'm allergic to essential oils. <laughs> Gluten-free, thank you. You're going to have that person who comes, and you want to avoid them. Why? There is no life on their branches. But then you realize that many people start coming to you. This message of Jesus, they either want to challenge it or rub up next to it, because it's life-giving. That God would come down and humble himself and radically deposit his spirit into you has implications. When you are in the vine, as John 15 says, you bear fruit. It is evident to those around you. And so those people who you avoid on the other side of the room are the people that you want to be around. Are you one of those people? Don't answer that. I don't know what family members are in here, and I'm still trying to guess who's related to who. But there is a reality that if Christ is in us, it is apparent to those looking on. And not only that, it's life-giving to those who partake. That is an amazing thing. That God would do that and use us for his purposes and his glory is pretty amazing. Paul, in addressing the Roman church in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, you can certainly turn there. He wanted the Romans and us to know why their hope should be assured. And preceding this specific chapter and verse, Paul has assured them that by faith, when Abraham believed God in the covenant that was made between God and Abraham, the reality was that God is the one who fulfilled both sides of the covenant. That when he said, I will bless you and make you a nation larger than the sands on the shores, he said, I will fulfill both parts of that covenant. Rest assured, because you cannot. And so when that came to fruition in Christ, and Abraham believed that in faith, when that became reality because of faith, he then goes on to say this in verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Or in other translations, hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Their hope was assured because they have peace with God, as it says in verse 1. Meaning that benchmark of who they are and their outlook on life, their hope-filledness comes from the reality that they have peace with God. The external, regardless of what it looked like or didn't look like, was eclipsed by the reality that they have peace with God. 
That is where their hope stems from. Their hope is not wishful thinking, but different potential outcomes as society may define them. But their hope is a done deal. It is not reliant upon what they have done or not done. Their hope is tied to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Their assurance in this life is not placed on things that are passing, but their hope is anchored in the reality that they are at peace with God, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of when they need to endure because of Christ. They have peace with God. Christians know that in the midst of difficulty, God is working in us to shape our character. Why? in order that we may constantly produce a hope that can be found only in Christ. In essence, we are hope-bent arrows. The hope that is in us points us to Christ, our eternal hope, that he is the one that presents us before God, that we are justified, as that passage in Romans is talking about, that we've been declared right before God. We're in right standing. And so we, as Christians, by God's Spirit deposited in us, are now arrows that are bent in on pointing to where our hope comes from. We have a world that's looking at us, certainly during this season, but outside of this season. And so they would suggest to us, okay, now that your celebrations are done, now that the emotion of the moment or of the season has covered over the difficulties of your life, and in some cases have actually produced more, show me your hope now. And what Romans is saying is that when God de deposits His Spirit in us, that when we are in right standing, that He uses us by a Spirit to be an arrow pointing to the true hope in whom we are drawn, that is Jesus Christ. That is a good thing. This is a hope that is lasting beyond the season, beyond what America has made the season to be. Now, I don't down on the fact that we in America have the ability to celebrate it or that we celebrate it in December, I think that's great. I think it provides a wonderful opportunity. But where is our hope anchored? Is it there after the season is done? Is it there after the family leaves? Is it there after our gifts are played out? When we're tired of them? When the socks that we were given have holes? Is it still there? As Christians, our goal and hope is that we point to Christ. And to assure that we do, verse 5 talks about this, God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What that shows is that God doesn't leave us alone to maintain that which we cannot manufacture. He deposits His Spirit to carry us to Him throughout the highs and the lows of life. And this is why that even in the midst of tragedy, when death becomes a reality in this life with those we love, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, often quoted, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. God has given us his spirit that our hope might draw us to him even in the darkest of times. Paul wants us to know that even in death, for the Christian, there is hope. This world, this situation, this Christmas season is not the end of hope. 
The message and the person of hope is there every second of every day, making sure that His love is continually poured into our hearts in order to sustain our very being. Church, we have been reconciled to God. While we were still sinners, Christ came into this world, and that was the time to die for us. In the midst of our depravity, when we couldn't even manufacture anything that looked like hope, the best we could get was regurgitating the same mentality that, hey, let's get a great king to conquer some great people. That's the best we have. And Jesus came and rebuked those who thought that way. And he humbly came and said, I'm the best. I will fulfill the promise that I made in a covenant with Abraham. And I will deposit my spirit in you to make sure that you maintain that hope because the world needs to know about Christ. Not just in December. Pastor Aaron alluded to this idea last week, and I don't remember which sermon it was. Pastor Aaron, forgive me. But in reflecting on J.I. Packer's Knowing God, Matt Boga comments, he says, Bound up in the Christmas message of the Incarnation is the Easter message of the Atonement. For if Jesus was not God made man, then we remain in our sins. But the reality of the first advent is that God, in all of his riches, became poor so that we might become rich in Christ. Is that not amazing? If we become numb to the reality that that is what happened, that is the exchange which was so glorious on the cross, then our celebration at Christmas will wane that much quicker. If we are not grounded, if what is not at the base of our excitement and our hope is that Christ, then it will die. That tree will not bear fruit. However, the great thing is is that when Christ comes into us, He makes sure that that seed and that tree is constantly flourishing. Because by a spirit, he is watering it and making it grow. He causes that growth. If we are not growing in that hope, if we are not pointing to Christ, let's look at the reason that we celebrated that season. How quickly does it fade? What discourages us in January? In our minds, we want to get to the next holiday so a new resolution can be made, so new plans, new festivities, something else to celebrate. But oftentimes, that celebration distracts us from the reality that we are empty inside each time because Christ has not made us alive. And so I plead with you today, I say, hey, we just celebrated the birth of Christ, the first advent, and we now are in this period of where we await in hope for the second advent. And our life circumstances aren't always going to be smooth. We read the Christmas story as if it this, this one beautifully mellifluous tone that just was settled down and was played in perfect harmony. But if you take it apart and you slow it down and you put yourself in the shoes of those who experience it live, it's not so easy. Where would our faith be? And so here we are awaiting the second advent. The season of Christmas will soon, soon turn a page. It will be 2020. Where is our hope? It's not in the New Year's resolution, I can tell you that for sure. I could come up here the second week of January and preach a message on that, ask for a raise of hands of how many resolutions have been side-railed, which generally goes into talks about relatives that you hate. We don't want to do that. When we turn the page of January 2020, is that same hope 
in our hearts? Is it still fueling us? Is it still driving us? Is the Spirit in us working? And are we subjected to it and its desires as we spread the message of hope to those around us? This is the message that drives us. This is the message with eternal ripple effects that surpass traditions. It surpasses adversity. And it surpasses the season. Admittedly, this sermon is much more reflective than it is expositional. We often don't take the time to evaluate how we celebrated Christ's birth. We evaluate our Christmas budgets. We evaluate our children's responses when they open their gifts. Remember when he... Remember, he didn't know it was in the garage and then, and we think back and we let those memories live on and it fuels us with happiness and moments. And we evaluate the relational dynamics that did or didn't happen when visiting family. However, do we reflect upon our worship of the one in whose name we gathered and whose day we celebrated? Our family went through Repeat the Sounding Joy, the entire devotional. We did it from December all the way through. Um, it, was a, it was a wonderful book. I don't know how many of you went through that devotional, but we tried to do it as a family. There were days that we had to make up, probably four or five days where we had to read two. Um, but we went through it. And on the last day, the 24th, I asked my family, I said, you know what, what, what about this devotional? What about the story that you heard in Luke 1 and chapter 2? What about it impacted you? Was there something new? Was there something that was convicting or encouraging? And it, something I think parents, when they do devotionals or they spend quiet time with their kids, you're trying to draw something out of them. You're trying to help them think. And so we went around and each one of us said something that did impact them, which to my delight was okay, they were listening. Generally, I read uh, most of them. And so as a parent, you just, you just hope that they're listening at times, you know? And they don't answer, you know, Jesus when that wasn't the answer. As we work through the Advent, as we work through the story of Christ, as we work through the season, and as you reflect upon what your life was like, how you walked that out in worship, how you prepared your heart for that time of celebration, how was it? Was it encouraging? Was it joyful? Was it stimulating? Did you understand Christ even more this year than last year? Was there a nuance to the story that God brought to your mind through the Scriptures that caused you to pause and say, wow, God is so good. The songs that Mary sang, which for me was something that I focused on more than I ever has, was the songs, the responses, the direction of the songs. Simeon, the prophecies, Anna. Pointing out the stories of those who had hope and trusted God, and like Mary said, let it be unto me as your word says. In our life this season, are we saying that? with the message of Christ, the hope that is in us, are we saying to those around us, let it be unto me, God, as your word says? Is our response one filled with hope? Colossians 1.27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Father has sealed us with the Spirit of Christ, a deposit of hope that not only continually draws us to the Father, but also works its way in and through us in order to, as Peter says, proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
Is his light still marvelous in your hearts, in your eyes, in how you live, in how you express yourselves this season? Christmas is joyous because it's something we celebrate, the reality that God did leave the glories of heaven, came down to earth, and humbly lived. But the implications of that are even more glorious in that he says, let me use you now in the plan of spreading a light to a dark world. How amazing is that, that we were the ones in our sins that God saved and said, I'm not only saving you, but I'm using you for my glory so that I can save others by the message that you bring, the story of Christ. That's amazing. We are designed and fashioned to be proclaimers of the hope that is within us. The Spirit is deposited into each one of us, those who profess Christ as Christians, so that we can be proclaimers of this hope. Are we proclaiming that hope? So, how does our hope respond as the season of Advent moves on? Will we repeat the sounding joy? Not just a song on the 24th, but do we repeat that sounding joy, the joy that Christ brings to all those who hope in him? If that is the case, then truly our hope in Christ will not disappoint. Amen? A friend of mine who has watched his son battle addiction, he's a very dear friend, and I've watched this from afar because he's no longer near in New Jersey. He has had difficulty through the struggle of watching this. He's a believer, a very strong believer, loves the Lord, and his son is addicted. For years, they've gone and moved to places just so that, in the hope that one of these places would help put him on the right track and that he would be on the trajectory of a healed life. And recently, I asked his permission, though I will not mention his name, he made a post and he said this, when we were in the thick of it, and we would go to different support groups, how much we longed to hear of a story with a happy ending. It seemed so hopeless at times. The encouragement, of course, in that post was also that he has been two years free from that addiction, which is an amazing story. There are many, but that's not the ending. We look around and we have a world that now Christmas will be gone. It will be done with. Christ will even more so be offensive now that the season is over. Yet that world is running from the cure. They're running back into darkness. They're running and hiding in places where they would like to hide from what is actually going to bring them hope. We as Christians have the opportunity to carry that hope into those dark places, not run from them. We don't hide ourselves behind our garlands so that we look so good. We go to those places with those people who are hurting and we spread the message of Christ, offering them hope that they don't even realize they need, yet they're trying to manufacture. We have the privilege of being used by God to carry this message of hope to a lost and dying world. Are we ready to do it? Do we have that hope? Let's pray. Father, we once again pause and thank you so much for the hope that you deposited in us, the person of Jesus Christ and his spirit that made us alive when we were dead. You've drawn us to yourself. You've sealed us for the purposes of being with you one day 
face to face. That second advent that we look forward to. Lord, use us to spread that message of hope to a dying world. Use us to spread that message of hope to each other. Use us that you would be glorified in our settings where you have placed us. In Jesus' name, amen.